Hi, I'm Joel. And I'm Kishan. And this is Tea for Two. This is our BFF podcast where we talk about anything from science to popular culture, the arts, and life in Singapore. Hi everyone, it's me, Joel, a playwright and performer. And it's me, Kishan, a science educator. And welcome back to T42. It's our best friend podcast where we talk about whatever, whatever the fallopian tube. Eh, fallopian <laughs> tube. You know what's we another want. word for fallopian tubes? What? The oviduct. <laughs> I don't know why duck just doesn't have a pleasant sound. Yeah, because it, it reminds you of secretions. Yeah, it's like, oh, uh, mm. it's that. Uh, it's just, uh, it just kind of feels weird to think that your body has all this like tiny little plumbing networks inside. Oh, you. we are nothing but a bag of chemicals. <laughs> How are you this week, Kishin? Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. That, that's nice. <laughs> How have you been? I've been doing very well, actually. Yeah, I, I've been um, coming to peace with being back in Singapore. Coming to pe- you, you've been back for a long time. Yeah. I, oh, so like, like, uh, this week marks my six months back in Singapore. Wow. Yeah. And Congratulations. Thank you. Thank I, you very I don't much. know what the correct. I like, like, like to thank my father and mother for guilting me into staying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's like I was meant like so you know my deadline for going back to the UK would have been the twenty second of September. Yeah, I know it just passed. Yeah, yeah. so like I I guess I'm just here for the long haul now. Yeah, I am back. You know what? You're making the best of it, and I'm very for what it's worth. I'm happy you're yeah, here. Yeah, you know, you yeah. get to do this ridiculous podcast every week. I know. You know, for free. And you know how many for weeks no we've been money. doing this? You know uh, how many weeks we've been doing this? 20! This is our 20th episode, it's dear listeners! 20th episode, 20. I feel like 20 is a milestone, right? I, I'm just I'm shocked. Yeah, 20 <laughs> is like a young adult, eh? <laughs> oh my god, our podcast is a young adult! Our podcast is a young adult. Uh, it's, it's just ridiculous that we've been doing this for so long. And you know what, dear listeners, who've been following us, Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. We've received a lot of wonderful feedback, actually. Have we really? Yeah, we really have. Okay, so that's good. You've heard some of this feedback. Yeah, yeah, like everybody's very encouraging. Yeah, they, mm. they, they are. And so, thank you, everyone. Yeah, so to commemorate our 20th episode, right, Um, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, so we have this brand new idea. You know how we're always shifting our Yeah, format? because we, can't, we honestly just can't stick to one thing. This week, we are doing a series of hot takes. Mm. You know, we're ditching the segments because honestly, there's so much to talk about and the two of us haven't been in the room alone. Yeah, we have. For a while, we've had we've had lots of guests over for a while. And there was a period that you weren't able to record. Yeah, so and you I, did your wonderful T for one, T for one. Yeah, which was so, by the way very very lovely. I really enjoyed it. Thank Joel. you very much. Yeah, thank really you very lovely. much. Pet topic, gay bodies. Yeah. Mm. Um. So I think like I really miss just sitting in a room talking shit with you about yeah. things that are happening, Kishen. So yeah. that's what we're gonna do today. A series of hot takes. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. No lukewarm takes today. Mm-mm. Only we're hot takes. Taking it up a notch. Yeah, you're just gonna take our word for it that these are gonna be hot lah. Yeah like You just believe Kenry. I'm not even lukewarm. I can't like tap it. <laughs> Don't put it out into the ether. <laughs> Just it's hot, guys. It's hot. Clammy. <laughs> hot takes. Puranakan. Specifically, Puranakan Nasi Lemak. Ooh, ooh. I know so, this is something that's been on your mind a little bit. Yeah, too. I mean, we're a bit late to the game, aren't we? With yeah. the whole Puranakan thing. But like, is it ever a bad time to talk about Puranakan? <laughs> I mean, they talk about themselves all the time. Apparently lah, apparently. Right, so for those of you who don't know... Yeah, what's the thesis? What is the tea? So, a few weeks ago, the Les Amis group, which is a group of restaurants, right? Very famous for like their slightly kind of high-end restaurants. Right. Uh, announced that they are released, They are opening a new restaurant called Le Mac Boys. <laughs> Let's ponder the name for yeah, a I cannot, Le Mac Boys. I cannot right? stand. Yeah. It's like Gamot Girls and Le, Le Mac Boys. boys. So it, oh, what a great it, like parallel. It, it, I love it that. is to be a nasi lemak restaurant. Mm. And of course, the way that it was marketed suggested that they are a Peranakan nasi lemak restaurant. Right. So like, there's like, oh, it was the whole like, you know, like, oh, uh, nasi lemak with a Peranakan twist kind of angle. <sighs> and then like, of course, they're charging like, I don't know, twelve eighty or something for that nasi lemak, <laughs> which is just like, the 80 really, cent for the sambal. Yeah, which, you know, depending on where you get your nasi lemak could be anywhere from five to 12 times what you pay for your no, nasi lemak, right? totally, sister. Yeah. That's an exorbitant... Like, what right. is it? Is it gold flakes chicken? Like, Possibly. Yeah. I like, think and it's like the rice inside got gold flakes. Correct. The ikan bilis is not ikan bilis. No, it's actually gold. No, the ikan bilis <laughs> is actually kind of like... It's uh, rare metals. N- yeah, <laughs> it's endangered tuna. Right. That they dry, then they 
cut into individual Correct. like Correct. ikambili shaped. Yeah, it's fashioned it's into fashioned ikambili, ikambili shape, but yeah. it's actually endangered tuna. Correct. You know? That's right. <laughs> so the controversy around it was that. <laughs> Uh, what was the controversy? The controversy around it was that oh, okay, you know, you slap this Peranakan label onto something and then you can immediately mark up the price. Right. Never mind that. First of all, what a Peranakan nasi lemak might be is kind of questionable. But then also like there is a like some people are saying that this is clearly a kind of appropriation. Yeah. Of Malay cuisine, um, and and the argument kind of is like oh, okay, you slap the the Peranakan label over something, which kind of really is a kind of elitist. Chinese Peranakan mm. label over something and then you can charge prices and for something that Malay cooks could never get away with charging for their nasi lemak for right, example, right. so it's the whole idea that it's a premium label that's maybe a little bit misleading yeah um, I think the monetization of Peranakan culture is very interesting yeah. for me because it is I mean, we've talked about this and we and we, and we recognize that the Peranakans are unique to this area of the world, right? Sure. And, and yeah, no, they really are. I mean, I mean the, yeah. the Southeast Asian region, they're very unique to this to this particular yeah, area. Yeah, I mean, it's just like two, two, three hundred years from now, all the intermarried, like all our Angmo and Chinese, you know, all the friends we have sure. who are intermarried will suddenly have their own community. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct. No, so like, I can see why like tourist wise or culturally we want to we, we, we latch on this and we go this is something unique because it truly kind of is I mean is. okay latch on I don't know if it's latch on or kind of like beat to death right I mean you've <laughs> been to Changi Airport Terminal 4 oh, which I yeah. basically just dubbed the Peranakan Terminal you reminded me about yeah, this yeah it's like when I went to see it for the first time right? I mean first of all I was amazed at the terminal which is like mm. it, it, it looks like the Google office Right, but but it's an airport <laughs> terminal. I mean, it's a really gorgeous terminal. But you walk around and then you re- you hit this wall, this massive wall where they've projected like yeah. where they have like this um this computer ven- skit yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, but they have this kind of like a uh, r- representation of like the katong. That's um, right. Yeah, that's something like houses, that. and then they have this show that plays every once in a while. I think it was like, a marriage, like a yeah, boy yeah. girl, like sort of yeah, like yeah, yeah. seeing it for each other for the first time, courting. Yeah, and then, and then on level marriage. two or something, there's some kind of like Peranakan museum. You're shooting me. There's not, a museum. Yeah, there's a kind of like I don't know if it's a museum, but there's a kind of display of um Peranakan artifacts. Wow, and things like we that. really ran with it. Uh. Yeah, and then right underneath all of this is Bangwan Solo. You know, <laughs> so it's just like okay, you know, the Nonya really have Terminal Four going for them. You can't wonder. So do the other terminals have ethnic identities? No, right? No, no, but but that's interesting, right? Imagine if you are you are Peranakan, yeah. and then you you everywhere you go, you see your culture being exalted as as premium. Yeah. You know, and then like, it's display, it's given a whole terminal. Yeah. What does that do to your psyche? Do you brush it off, or do you go like, yeah, I'm all that, sister? I mean, I don't know why you're asking me because I'm not in fact Pranakan. Hey, you're not Pranakan. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Okay, so okay, categorically, I'm just going to put this out for the public record. I am not Pranakan. So mm. many people have come up to me, surprised <laughs> that I'm not Pranakan, and like every time this happens, I have to cringe a little bit because it's like I have, I personally, okay, I have nothing personal against Pranakans, but I do find that this whole kind of like business angle and this storytelling around the culture and the way it's used to kind of up like up the value of things and add a premium right. to things is very it, it makes me a little queasy and if you look at the aesthetics of a lot of like some of these um more out there Peranakan businesses right you, you, there's something very tricky there about the way they present themselves like the Violet Un restaurants for mm. example I don't know if you've been I've right? been the I've National been, yeah. Kitchen and then the one at the airport so it's like why is it done up to look like this elaborate colonial era yep. tea house or you know and why does it play into all of this strange kind of colonial nostalgia right why does it have to look so like you know why is it basically like Emily of Emerald Hill on yeah. steroids right? and you know the Peranakan culture actually was given a bit of a like Propelling with the little nyonya. Oh god! Do you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I never watched it, but I hear it was. I, I mean, a lot of my friends did, like yeah. my colleagues, and they were like, "Oh, it was so good! It was so good!" I mean, like I didn't watch it, or whatever. But is that is is one of those things that that okay? One of the problems that's emerged is that actually, when you say, um. Peranakan, what kind of Peranakan do you mean, right? Because that's sure, actually there's like the, what what comes to mind because of the way this story has been told and the kind of visual language of you know of, of what Peranakan culture looks like in the business and, and tourism ethos is Chinese Peranakan, yep. right? So it's it and then like a lot of some a lot of the conversation on social media surrounding the whole like this this recent flare out of the argument has 
people saying things like, oh, actually, a lot of Peranakan seem very eager to downplay the Malay part of their heritage and, you know, kind of just write that off, barely speak the language, and then, you know, basically, it's a kind of imposition of a very Chinese veneer over yeah. Malay culture, Malay food. Um, Is it also something that, I mean, I don't know. Uh, so when Chinese people watch... Uh, the little nonya or something, or, or they get exposed to Pranakan culture. Do they see it as something that they they like they reach for? I can imagine how like because the whole because thing, of how it's positioned. Yeah, right? but also the whole thing is in Chinese, and it's like yeah, where's course. the Malay in this? You mm. know, actually I don't know like, Is it is it or the whole thing in Chinese? Yeah, it's a Chinese show lah. So it's like it's really this strange thing right. where like it pr- creates this fantasy of a Chinese Pranakan world where right. like there's literally no Malay people or like the 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 Malay aspect of the of the culture is kind of like practically erased. Yeah, I actually wonder yeah. how many people act- know that Pranakans are just more than the Chinese. Yeah, it's more than just in- the this, Chinese There's things. Indian Pranakans as there's well, There's Indian right? Pranakans yeah. as well. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't know how many times, but I, I, I am aware that it's a very diverse yeah. group. You know, actually, I want to go back to the to one of the things you just said mm. uh, at the very top of this, which was that people, that, that sometimes people slap on the term Pranakan and certain things and then it feels like there's a premium and then like you pay more yeah. and then people get very upset that, some people get very upset that, that certain things are more expensive uh, it actually reminded me of something like I know of people who get very upset well, that uh, when they go to a Malay food store, for mm. example, and then they choose choose uh, they choose choose rice. I call mm. it choose choose rice, uh, like the nasi padang situation, right? Mm. And then they compare it to like the Chinese food kind of situation. And they go like, why is the prices a lot more expensive? And then they get very upset that Malay nasi padang stores have so uh, have such costly food, but then they right. are willing to pay. $12.80 or forget it maybe $20 yeah. for like nasi lemak like that yeah, and it angers me if you look at Malay cooking it's actually very labour intensive exactly right? so I've yeah. actually said this to people they, they come up to me go like wow how come the Malay food like that only uh, $6 yeah. yeah I've actually said like, do you know how much work goes into yeah. this you know how what time the auntie have to come and like tumbuk don't know what rempah it's like, thing it's like every time I make a Malay dish right I break out a sweat it takes me a long time to get everything going and I can see why, you know, I would be I would pay I would pay for this kind of food. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's just thing where I think there is definitely a kind of like racialized prejudice that comes in, right? Mm. Where it's like oh, Malay food, you know, if you have these really weird racist ideas about um the culture, you're gonna go like, oh, why should this food cost so much? You know what? Like, I won't lie. I've I mm. uh, that that thought has actually crossed my mind. So whenever someone comes up to me and talks about it, I cannot help but think about that racist aspect of oh, things. Oh, for sure. It's completely yeah, racist. But yeah. I think food is an incredibly political thing. Mm. Right? And like, um, one thing that's emerged from all of this is, is precisely this conversation. It's like, we are so happy to like, pay for certain things that we assume because of the story that's told about it or our own beliefs ah, about the thing, yes. we think it's inherently superior, right? Like yes. Western food, for example. Correct. It's like, <laughs> people, like, in this country, people will pay so much for mediocre pasta. Yeah, really. But yeah. like complain if your bach chow mee is too expensive. Correct. But like honestly, I think in many ways bach chow mee, for example, right, or mee pok, right, is a far it's superior, a lot more sophisticated. It's sophisticated than like a lot of like fucking pasta. Oh there. yeah, sis. yeah. Tell me about it. And um, you know, this brings to mind like remember Master Chef? Oh yeah. Season one, yeah. Like, which I, you know, wrote oh. a whole. I wrote a series of like recaps for it, right? It was lovely. They were so good to read. <laughs> like, to I, was, I was reading. I was reading them the other day just to like get in touch with my older self, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but then this idea came up again, right? So like on the show, um, which started out with so much promise because the first challenge was what it was. I your remember. own self made your own. Summer Blacha now. That was oh, the challenge. The technical yeah. challenge ready. So like the show had this kind of really hyper local focus in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, and I was really did. excited because like, oh my god, they're presenting all this local food and there are all these cooks like Shamsida and Sharon Gonzago who are making like, you know, um Eurasian and Malay, modern yeah, Malay touching fat. to touching back their heritage. Was, yeah. But then as the show progressed, the conversation became very like, how do Oh, this is not enough. So remember Diana, the I do. Yeah, I remember one of the sambal queens, Diana, who was like this Malay lady who made a lot of like homey Malay food and was apparently really delicious. But the one critique she kept getting was, it's too simple. It's too. How do we elevate? This? Yeah, how do you elevate it? And the whole question of how you elevate oh. the food kept coming into play and it became very like actually why does this need to be elevated do you not see how much work goes into making a sambal exactly yeah 
Which, then, which is actually yeah. a bit galling, right? Like, I, I mean, like, obviously, the, the judges mm. know how difficult it is to make a sambal. Yeah. They've been there, they've done it. Yeah. So, to ask something on, like that is, I think, unnecessary. It's also like your eye, I guess, is trained to think of a certain kind of plating as more atas. You know what I mean? See, like, we've all been c- Correct. brainwashed, colonialized, brainwashed. Uh. So, do you remember the last challenge, the final challenge when it was the final two? Yeah. And they'd already eliminated all the good local cooks, right? Yeah. So, it was just these two, like, Ang Mo Pai kind of cuisines. Yeah. Xander and, and I can't remember oh, her name now. Her name. Yeah. Uh, it will come back to us. Jen. Jen, yeah. yes, thank you. The challenge was make a feast, right? But it must feature, quote unquote, an Asian element. Which to my mind was kind of like, girl, we are in Singapore. This is Master Chef Singapore. Wow. Why should there be a criteria for the food to include an Asian yeah. element? You are in Why is it Southeast not Asia. Center stage. Yeah. So it's this thing of like Oh, that's really stupid. Yeah, it's like the food Asian the Asian element is only ever this kind of like garnish. Exotic little flourish to elevate yeah. or to make more food, more exactly. interesting. It's never the other way around. You know, I, I really yeah. hope they this they, they put it on center. They they put Asian food center stage in in season two, which yeah. is coming up. Apparently, the season is gonna have like a hype. The folk, I think the the theme is hyper locality. Oh, so not, I think like they probably not pandemic food. Uh. <laughs> oh my god, what would pandemic food be? Uh? I think army rations. So. Right, it would just be like uh, today's challenge is order from Grab. <laughs> Um, oh my goodness Anyway to round off This conversation About the Pranakans Yeah right? So like On Twitter <laughs> What happened? You, so on Twitter This conversation Like took a different direction Than on Facebook Because this like Nonya woman From Penang oh I think her family's from Penang But she's Singapore Her name is Karen Or whatever Literally her <laughs> name is Karen Right <laughs> Nonya Karen Oh I never get sick of like, that Like goes Ape shit At people's criticisms Of like um, The Pranakan Nasi Lemak And she's like What like Peranakan food has every reason to be expensive and she starts explaining oh it's so sophisticated it's so labour intensive and people are going like girl Malay food is just as yeah, it's just in as. fact where do you think your yeah. Peranakan food got its you know got yeah, its where sure. it traces its, its roots to and then she says some really galling things which I can't I won't repeat about like Malay culture and she she raises this really hair raising point about whether or not Malay as a, as a cultural category even exists it's very bizarre like I don't want to go into her mind too much it's yeah, scary yeah. yeah but she said something about soy sauce did she not oh my god she just basically came for poor people's food <laughs> what did she say she's like uh it's like, oh, okay, you know. Um, what do y'all eat? Huh? Yeah, it's like, basically, she was like, oh, you want to say my food is elitist and you want to say I have an elitist of, uh, uh, approach to food? Well, I just care about, um, you know, what nutrition and I care about camera. But like, what were you raised just eating like rice and, uh, and, and, and ketchup manis? And then people are like, yes. yeah. <laughs> sister, you should give Girl, it a shot. Yeah, maybe yeah. you should try. You maybe know? you should really try uh, but rice and ketchup manis. I think the one thing that this exposed was that, that like, I think a lot of people can't stand Pranakans. And this is cycling back to why I have such an aversion to being called Pranakans. Because, like, <laughs> they have this reputation for being very hoity toity and unbearably precious about. A food culture or their food culture, right? Yeah. Like you, you have we have non your friends. Right? Yeah, we, like we do. Have, we, we have Pranakan friends who are just like, I yeah. They go to Pranakan restaurant, right? they will always say, I this one not as nice as eat at home one, <laughs> you know. And they always have this kind of like Susan and Agatha voice, right? Of and course, like, they're like, yes, yes. I yeah, okay, Onila is not as nice, yeah, you know. You know my girl, la, in Methodist, yeah, my girl, uh, Methodist girl school, la, she's uh, from there, you know. Mm, mm. She's doing quite well now. Now it's an old level. Yeah, I don't so know why we're talking about your daughter. I like we know. have to criticize the Kuei Pai in front oh, of us. I'm, I'm sorry, I just like to bring in family. No, we're talking about food now. You know, no, can you please okay, focus, Karen? Can you please listen? <laughs> <laughs> so irritating. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there's so much to say here about mm. how, like, oh god, I could go on forever. But yeah. about how Pranakans were like, you know, the rich ones at least, right? Yeah. During the colonial colonial times, were a bit of a collaborator class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So term. this interesting thing came up where, like, um, a few years ago, my parents over dinner when I made like um some Pranakan dish because I was experimenting, right? Actually yeah. said, point blank, oh, we don't like Pranakans. <laughs> Point blank. Point blank. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, well, why? Did you explain? Yeah, it's because like they grew up very poor. So sure. like they were, they, they are both Hainanese, right? So you know yeah. like Hainanese <gasps> were the last. Oh, well like, they were also, yeah. s- many of them were servants, right? Yeah, they, basically wrong. of all the fresh off the boat Chinese, they yeah. were the, the freshest lah. They were the so, like, freshest. freshest off the boat. Like <laughs> really got the boat smell. Oh, really? They yeah. still have boat smell. Yeah, huh? yeah. And like, so when they came here, apparently the Pranakans were just lauded over them because by that time, the Pranakans oh, had hierarchy already, was already yeah, set lah. And had, they had this very kind of stink ass 
attitude about new arrivals. The same stink-ass attitude we have today for new arrivals in this country, you know what I mean? Oh my god, history is really doomed to repeat itself. Yeah, like, correct. We don't learn it. No, we forget that we are an immigrant culture. Yeah, it's tr- I just can't stand these new arrivals, you know. I know, who do they think they are? I know, Dorothy. Really it's terrible. Like they bring with them all of their, like, you know, their, their, their Sichuan food. Uh. Yeah, what is this? I don't quite I can't understand. Like, oh, this Susan. mala hot pot. Uh. No, oh, thank you. No, oh. no, too, too spicy. No, it's a different sort. Uh, no, sorry, no. My, my accent just went Indian. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot, you know why? It's like, I, I, it's, it's unbearable. <laughs> this character is unbearable. It's unbearable. No. I have to purge. Let's, let's, let's purge. Let's purge mm. <laughs> No offense to any Puranakans listening. All the Puranakans who are our friends who are listening, we love you. You're the best. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Hot takes. Rich, rich people. Ugh. Or rather, like rich people getting away with shit. Oh, sister, That's the vibe, you right? are absolutely right. I rich mean, people getting away with it. Yeah, everybody knows what we're going to talk about. Mm. It's the Patiliani case. Yeah. Oh my days! This story, right, is the Netflix horror story Ooh, that Singapore. That's, that's an interesting thing, uh, Netflix. No, they should make a Netflix. Honestly, I think film. it's better than Netflix because like, it's there's so it's so much going on. Yeah. It's it's an intensely it's, horrifying. How long story. did it last for? Four years? Three? I years? mean, her ordeal is four years, right? Jesus. And like, I mean. This this case has been in and out of the public consciousness, but then now that it's resurfaced again in such a visceral way, I, I think, have to admit yeah. though, even though it's been four years for her, this is the first time I recall I, I, mm. I, I've heard of her. So because it because of what what went down, right? Because I think its story has really kind of cut through many layers in society, right? Yeah. Because like my parents who are very Actually, quite politically conservative, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and tend to think the world of our system. Yeah. Like when we when we were talking about it over dinner the other day, actually, I, I they were very upset about um, her story, and they were very upset about what the Liu family had um, apparently gotten away with, and and what they had tried to do to to Patiliani. Oh, I and, can't imagine and I was anyone like, not being upset. Yeah, and it's like you know what it is? It's like our collective hatred for rich people getting away with things. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 it's this basic uh, I, I think it's basically A David and Goliath story mm. Where she stood up Against this yeah. Giant of a man yeah. Money wise Or family Or rather, family yeah. yeah And and she won it, After such a hard Hard long fought, yeah. fight You know It was crazy Actually the thing that This story exposes I think is the real Horror story Is the fact that She is seemingly An exception to a rule Because not Everybody in a similar situation in the past have has stood up because yeah. like I was talking to some people about this some uh, some people who are like quite close to the case who yeah. were saying that actually in the past uh, a lot of like um these foreign domestic workers who get wrongfully accused of wrongdoing yeah. more often than not won't. Uh, won't appeal. They just accept. They just accept the the, the fate. They just accept the fate because, like, Why? ultimately, it's less trouble. It's easier, and you can or st- you can probably get home out of Singapore faster. No, you, you know what? Yeah, yeah but I, I guess because they they just don't want to face no, the other consequences, right? Yeah, and it's very scary. You know what? Especially if you are in a foreign land. Yeah, and your language might be you don't have the language, you don't have the resources. Yeah. It's actually very scary. And la. then you also have like you coming up against this like notoriously. Powerful state machinery, right? Yeah. So okay, let's look at the Patiliani case for example, right? Like her original sentence, uh, had she not appealed, it would have been what twenty six months in jail. Oh, was it? What's that? Tw- two years and four months. Well, wow, that's really long. No, two years and a couple months, right? Okay. She's been so think about it. If she had just gone to jail, right, she would be back in Indonesia already. Oh no. She's been here four years. Yeah, like. she's been here four years. Unable but to she work. fought the good fight. Yeah, but you know, at tremendous cost, at right? At tremendous cost. And it just makes you think, wow, like. People, people, these these people are so so severely disadvantaged in this power dynamic that I think this is what is capturing everybody's imaginations, right? I mean, apart from like if you just go and read the transcripts, you see kind of like the egregious things. Yeah, the strange that ha- things yeah. that they were saying. I was like, what? Which was yeah. your favorite? Oh, my favorite was the like uh, apparently the sun wears <laughs> the sun wears the. Yeah, the son apparently. So they found like a uh, female clothing. Then the, the family said that it is it was their sons, and yeah, then yeah. The, because the son likes to cross dress. I'm yeah. like, wow, no, no, that no, no, is no. the. Right, well, no, no, what's the story is like, like they claimed that she had stolen clothes, la, and then yeah. amongst the clothes that they claimed she had stolen were some female garments, and exactly, then the son yeah. was like, Oh, uh, I like to cross dress, yeah, that's apparently mine, yeah. And then I'm like, Wow, this wow. is the only time cross dressing is acceptable, la. yeah. It's like, Wow, really, it's real piss take, wasn't yeah. It? When you're trying to take down another person <laughs> like that, another disadvantaged person, yeah. that is when uh, cross dressing yeah. is okay. My, 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 my other favorite one was the. Uh, oh, these bed sheets I bought in London for 500 sing or something like that. And, right. I was like, and then she's like, uh, no, they're from Ikea. 
And then you know what? The bitch she got. Ikea label? Bluff who? It's really like, girl. <laughs> no, but it's so galling, oh right? So it's so galling that like they they were so confident in their ability to get her I that know. they just like it's amazing. Yeah. what it's amazing what money does to your psyche, like yeah. Like you rich, you get away you because you grew up with this wealth and mm. then you were so used to getting your way and getting anything that you want yeah. that you that you normalize this yeah. to the point that you can actually that you think you can actually fight the judicial system. Mm. What is happening? And I just think that is very interesting and unfortunate as well that this story is happening in the wake of like the the whole shitstorm with the foreign oh, workers, the foreign workers in the and dormitories. COVID? Yeah, and this is really activating this question in our country about yeah. what the what the worth of a human being is, but what yeah. the worth of certain kinds of people are. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah as, as you say, it's really thrown a spotlight on how differently people live, live their lives yeah. in Singapore R- or rather that like you know I mean we've always known this like, like that by and large our society thinks very little of, Absolutely. of, of these foreign workers and, and of their humanity actually it's you know the scary thing is what humanity looks like in this country who is accorded humanity in this country in mm. our society has is really in the spotlight right now why is it that our, our whole system can just like toss these people to the side it depends on who you are and um, where you're from from, right, p- p- the color of your skin. Right. Uh, so you know, like this has also come to light with the whole death penalty thing. That's yeah. kind of like now we're having a we have this death penalty conversation every every once in a while, but we have got a new renewed uh, interest in it because yeah. of two renewed fervor yeah, with the whole thing because of two um, you know uh, slated executions that were meant to happen that had Kirsten Han, the independent journalist, yeah. not gone to you know not been uh, not found out would have would have just gone by and and now happily in the conversation like both these executions have been stayed yeah um but it's it's it you know like Kirsten's posted some really interesting material on her on her social media. Yeah, she summed it up yeah. very nicely. And and if you if you can't, by the way, just a little bit of a shout out. If you can't sit through words, you can also watch a summary of all that in video form on Pretty Places. Uh, yeah. Little, uh, I think like on Instagram yeah, to summarize like, everything. Uh, there's a petition going round. Then there's a kind of like Pretty Please video that kind of outlines the yeah. argument against. Uh, capital punishment yep, in uh, Singapore yeah yeah, but you know the, the conversation that's come up with this is that like most of our executions are tied to uh, most mo- most of our executions are tied to drug, drug offences drug offences yeah. right yep. and because like in Singapore you have a man- there's a mandatory death penalty for trafficking, trafficking of, uh, uh, above, above a certain amount yep. of any drug even like is it know, of any drug I think even marijuana you could gun- oh you could is, gun- that, is that I it might be wrong on okay. this yeah but I think there was a time when it would have been oh wow uh, yeah can you imagine uh, for, that's for nuts that uh, Kirsten did a great kind of like FAQ. Um, yeah, I, I know she did an FAQ yeah. for people who well, were not convinced, yeah. of, like you know, who, who who hold the argument that oh, uh, the death penalty protects us all. And yeah, she, like really, really takes it down, like t- and tells you. She breaks it down for you, basically, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah. But then her sociological breakdown is that actually, if you look at the people who are on death row, most of them are Malay Muslim, yeah, or Indian, yeah. Most of them are non-Chinese, right? And from so basically the, minorities, yeah, in Singapore, minorities. Like. But then they're also working class and from disadvantaged um backgrounds. Yeah. It does really yeah. call into question, like it's, perhaps structural racism. Yeah, structural racism. Something up with that, right? Secu- uh, like you know, possibly lah. But yeah, I mean, secu- not just the, possibly. The, the, you know, the circularity of poverty. The the conversations that that's emerging is that. Oh, Oh, okay, these are people who are kind of caught in a cycle. But instead of fight helping, instead of developing more humane and more like intersectional, I guess, approaches to drug instead of rehabilitation and rehabilitation, we execute, we execute people. Yeah. And I think we don't the, the problem is we don't see addiction. We don't see addiction for what it is, right? Mm. We don't see addiction. And uh, this is this is this is my view, and I stand by it 100 mm. percent Addiction is Mental health. mental health yeah. issue and we need to really see it like that and not right. and not chastise people and not worse execute them yeah. for doing these things and drug trafficking drug addiction class are also kind of inter- they're all in- intertwined. intertwined in a very difficult nuanced ways and like this idea that oh you just execute a person because like he's run afoul of one of our like you know greatest taboos right mm. it's just it's just such a blunt instrument yeah Actually, the disturbing thing about people who are very pro this, right? Who are very yeah. like, oh yeah, the death penalty is such a great deterrent measure, and it's like, oh, you know, it keeps our drug problem at bay, you know, and they love to say that, right? A very common strain that I've seen in a lot of the responses on social media, including by like the critical spectator guy ah. who weighed it in, obviously as he would, right? It's like, oh, we don't want those people here. 
We don't want those kinds of people here. There's no place for drug traffickers in this country. And I'm just thinking, what do you mean? They are amongst us yeah. and they are in our underclasses and they are, and you know, they are very probably pushed into this life because of all kinds of Also, like, even if you don't want them, doesn't mean you execute them. Lah. Yeah. But I it's, mean, it's, don't make this kind of logical leaps. Yeah, lah. so this ties back to what we were saying about, you know, what it takes to be accorded humanity in this country. Right, lah. absolutely. It's, like if, it's, it's, it's just so easy conceptually for us as a country to brush people off and never do well as right. or don't want we don't want these kinds as like a subhuman in a way absolutely right yeah you know going back to the point you said that if it wasn't for Kirsten we would not have heard mm. about Suhail's uh, possible execution mm. right I I think that if ever the, a state or any country wants to execute somebody it should be broadcasted for sure because if a state once, uh, if the if the state makes um the uh the claim that they're doing it for the people and mm. they're doing it on my benefit, then you make sure that I know when this yeah. is happening because I think a lot of the times we don't know when this is happening mm. and just like Suhail's case, it would have totally flown under yeah. the radar. It's like unless you know people kick up a big storm about it, no one's talking about it. Even now, no one's talking about it. Like the mainstream media, to t- uh, you know, at the time we we're recording, they still haven't. Um, mm. Reported on I don't on, know No surprises there darling It's it's Look I mean There's a fundamental Contradiction here Where it's like Oh you do this For a deterrent So it's like You know It's that thing of how Back in the day The public execution Used to be a spectacle Right In, yeah. the, in say In some European <laughs> societies And people yeah, like would in get France. Yeah people would gather Around <laughs> the to guillotine. witness The execution And it became this Kind of like Way around which A society would Organise its values And, it, and, and reinstate oh, yeah. Its principles yeah, so it's like there's a fundamental contradiction in saying that, as you say, we are doing this for the people and we are doing this as a deterrent and then keeping it so quiet, under wraps. Mm. Almost as if we are actually kind of ashamed of it. Perhaps, or we yeah. know that there is something very violent and, un- and, and unsavory and horrible and hideous and evil about it, but we, 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 we keep it out of sight and out of mind. Mm. You know? I think you once said something very interesting to me how Changi as a place. Mm. Is Changi prison? No, no. Changi as a like the entire ah, place location. It has like dual feelings to it because that that's where Changi prison is at, where mm. the executions happen. Yeah. But it's also where people go to eat nasi lemak, to go to the jetty, yeah. to go to Ubin, to do yeah. cycling, and that that dual nature of that place is something really uh yeah. creepy and scary yeah. sometimes to think about. A man could have been killed that morning. And people as families have, are yeah, preparing to go to Ubin, and you know, and eating nasi lemak, I would have and be none the wiser. Yeah, and that's oh, and that's, that's such a horrible that's thought. Horrible. And I feel like there's this very interesting transcript that's circulating on Twitter now right. about um this interview that uh Go Chok Tong did in then the, Prime uh, Minister Go, then Prime yeah. Minister Go did I think with Hard Talk on in, it's a UK program right. So oh, like, oh, I remember oh, the name of the journalist, basically interviewing and grilling Go Chok Tong on um the death penalty right, and then I think the the, the interviewer is asking Go Chok Tong look. Um, Can you tell me how many? Yeah, something like that. He's like asking how many people have been executed this year, and then Go Chok Tong just kind of says, "Oh, I'm not sure. I guess it's in the in the range of seventy to eighty." Is that what he said? Then he just flip, you know, flippantly just try, "Oh, seventy to eighty. Uh, it turns out it was ten that year, but later it was followed up by by, right. by, by the press secretary. But like in that interview, he was just like he he didn't know. Yeah. And then the the interviewer rightly said, "Don't you think that the prime minister of a country should know?" How many executions there are in a country, and then like Go Chok Tong was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I don't really. It's, I have other things to no, worry. No, I think about. I think bigger I, problems to worry. I about. think also the the interviewer said, if I if I'm not wrong, uh, don't you think it's important that you mm. know about it? And then he's, I think, uh, then Prime Minister Go said, when the cases are brought to us in cabinet, we deal with it mm. one by one. Mm. We but decide then, whether or not we the guy should be executed. And then, yeah. and then and then it's done. I don't yeah. keep track or something yeah, like that. Keep... Yeah, and I think there's something just kind of really awful about that because it's like you are. You know, a head of state in a mm. way, right? Like this is your business because yeah. the state is executing people. These are human beings that whose lives you are taking is not just some statistic. It's not just some like administrative, uh, uh, a uh, blip. Sure. You know? Yeah, which I, I think actually is to them, which is horrifying. You know, but it, it can't be that case. And I think that's the dawning consciousness that so many people have now, which is like, hey, actually, uh this is done in my name as a citizen of this country mm. and I, I, I can't accept it. I just can't, you know? You know, uh, on that point, mm. one of the data points that was on Kristen's uh, website and something that I heard from Priti's uh, summary of it was that when, when a poll was done uh, to ask Singaporeans whether they were in support of the death penalty, mm. a large proportion said they were even though they admitted that they had no idea 
mm. about uh, about anything to do mm. with the death penalty, who was who was being hung, all the all this mm. information. They just said how yeah, many yeah, people they, on death row. So yeah. they, basically, they were okay with it blind, which is uh, an appalling thing to hear mm. because if the act of taking someone's life does not disturb you to the point that you need to go and find out information, mm. something wrong there, lah. You know, I but think you need to go I and find out it, some stuff. It goes down to this thing we're talking about about what. How how humanity is accorded in this society? Mm. It's I think it ties back to this idea that certain lives are worth so little that it's okay if they are lost in service of keeping the greater good, the greater good. And the greater good story here is a very complicated one. Whenever you hear um, our leaders defend the death penalty in our country, it's always a kind of like our way of life depends. Yeah. On capital punishment That's right It's like we keep We have such a tough Stance on drugs Because We want to keep These elements Out of our country We want to keep Our women safe On the streets We want (laughs) safety We don't want to be Like the west you know, yeah. we want to. We don't want to have like um, yeah. um we, always, we always say like, oh, with, yeah. we can always walk at three a.m. with no yeah. fear of anybody. Which is, which is, you know, it's true. Yeah. It's true, but it's also a bit conflicting things, lah. Like yeah, putting, it's like there's yeah. you don't know. There's no no actual hard research that shows that you know there is a that there is a correlation between uh the existence of 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 the death penalty for drug offenses yeah. and you know the, and and safety. Yeah. And I just kind of, I just think the entire issue is a lot more. Complex than yeah. this cut and dry way that we do things, mm. and I think it is necessary for us as a country who you know, who thinks who, mm. who wants to move forward and to mm. be better, right? To actually open this up and to do a little bit of research, to look at other countries and maybe to have a think. Yeah, there's there's a better way to do this than just offing people. We are sold this story about our tough stance on drugs. Yeah, right. We are sold this story about what is protecting, and we all. F- you know, like as a society, you gather around this story and hold it up, right? Which is like, you know, back in the day, it was like, oh, you know, we we want to kick out all of these like Western elements. So I'm talking about like maybe the 70s and the 80s sure. when, you know, Lee Kuan Yew had this war against yellow culture mm. and the Western influence, right? And then there were all these heavy crackdowns on vice and, and the city was cleaned up, right? I mean, if you... Like Bukit Street, I Bukit guess. Street, for example, you know, really just cleaning the city out and yeah. like, you know, things like the tough... St- the war on drugs, so-called Singapore's war on drugs came from that energy Mm. and it's like people are dying because of this like ideological storytelling basically we it's blood sacrifice it's it's, it's blood blood sacrifice to hold up an illusion of 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 um, that's a lot of ideology I mean that's a lot of what ideology is it's it's terrible I mean, yeah. I mean, to end off, I guess everyone, if you don't already know that there's a petition going around, there is a petition going yeah. around. Please go and it's called. It's a petition that's calling for a moratorium yeah, on, on the death all, penalty, all all executions, uh, yeah. because we don't even know how yeah, many people. All executions, yeah. sorry, yeah. And uh, and 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 to and to raise questions about yeah. uh the death penalty in Singapore. Mm. Hot takes. Gender, gender reveals. reveals. I feel like all we're doing is vomiting at things today. Maybe no it's not la. hot take, it's just like vomit. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Vomit that, takes. That's why it's yeah. hot lah. Yeah. <laughs> puke, puke takes. Puke takes. <laughs> so what happened was that what happened was what that happened was, was this family in California decided to do a gender reveal party. As which, they do. Yeah, as they do, <laughs> as they do. Unfortunately, it involved pyrotechnics in an open field. Oh, classic. And when the pyrotechnics went up, so did like twenty thousand hectares of land. Yeah, by just, earth, just <laughs> just down in flames. Yeah, joining like the great fire forest fire party that's happening in California. Right yeah, now, exactly. Right? So it, it added, California, yeah, it added on to that whole shit storm that fire, that poor California, the West Coast is facing right now. Yeah, and in I, the report I read about this specific story, it's that uh this was one of the largest forest fires ever recorded in that area too. So not only was this gender reveal party. Uh, stupid in and of its own right of course right? but like yeah. it, distro- it caused one of the greatest catastrophes in that area not only that darling did we not just read that a firefighter oh, died, died. Yeah. a firefighter died and what appalled me was that this is not the first time a gender review party has caused like no fire disaster right there were like, others there like, were others and I was like what the fuck is wrong with people no okay I'm still okay 
I, th- I don't know about the gender review party in Singapore because like I don't have that many straight friends and all the straight <laughs> friends that I know who have become parents are not that kind uh. yeah. so like I don't really have much context for the gender review party sure. but what boggles my mind is like why got fireworks what why got it's, pyrotechnics it's, a dr- it's drama la. the bigger the better you do it the more performative it is the better uh, the okay, better we can show it can, can you tell me like actually great. what is a gender review party so a gender review party is basically where you go to a you go to the gynecologist like we don't know what right where you can finally tell the gender of the, the sex let me say sex, sex uh, uh, not gender not gender fact, uh, yeah. the sex of the baby and then what happens is that um, what hap- uh, the gynecologists sometimes link up with party planners and they tell you are you fucking kidding no I'm not, no this is real they said do you want to know the sex of the baby and they have a choice to say no and then uh, they can pass the sex of the baby on to a party planner and say like oh do you want this to happen blah 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 oh. or they can say like we'll put it in an envelope and then like you can pass it to a party planner so this is what they do and so if you want to do a gender review party you take that now secret envelope with the sex of the and baby inside and then you inside. open it up and then there's life reaction no lah you give it to a party planner and then they plan something oh, ridiculously Jesus elaborate Christ. it started off as very simple things like a l- little nice cake and then when you cut the cake open you see either blue or pink that kind of bullshit or a balloon a huge balloon that will pop and then like either a pink or blue confetti will come out that sort of thing I have this has escalated our sister I just saw a gender review party in fucking Abu Dhabi where they rented the the facade of the hotel the whole facade uh, to light up and say it's a boy it's a menace on society and then like <laughs> Fireworks, fireworks oh across the whole of the like, like the skyline. What? So what is this monstrosity that is happening? I what mean, is this nonsense? I, I mean, I'm generally very queasy around the entire culture uh, around like you know, childbirth. You know, <laughs> it starts from the wedding what? actually. Like the whole the whole culture around like you know the wedding. We talked about it on a previous episode, right? Where it's like people go over the top. Oh, the episode on sex, yeah, yeah. to create these like theatrical weddings. It's like this, and it carries on into childbirth, right? Then you have these elaborate baby showers, and you have like elaborate this and that, and then it's like the whole ceremony around like building a family becomes this opportunity for, I guess, conspicuous consumption. Yeah, you not only you're showing off, right? The whole thing is a massive boast. Sure, that's that. But if we just roll back time a little bit and we think about why people take photos or why people do it, it's to document. So I think a lot of this is documentation right. on crack. Yeah, you know, because it's just of, gone right. crazy. Yeah, because now we all live on social media, right? Yes, yeah. and I think that is the heart of the problem. Yeah. We go a little bit crazy with the internet and mm. we see all these people like documenting constantly and in such elaborate, like fake fashion yeah. that we now replicate it in real life. Yeah. And there are people that say, let me do this for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, capitalizing on of this. Course, and of course there will be because like there, people are always going to find ways to capitalize on things people want yeah. to do. Actually, you know, this goes back to something very interesting. Like it has a lot to do with the way we curate our lives and our consumption patterns on on, on social media, right? So like, um, I, I remember going to Paris once um, yeah. for a holiday, right? With my family. Yeah. And then like we were taking pictures outside um, this ice cream shop. Uh, this kind of famous ice cream shop in Paris. Uh-huh. And then I posted it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And then, like, this guy, this friend of mine at the time, whose name I now forget, like, commented going like, oh, you went there also, you got better photos than me. You know what I mean? It's like, you got a better angle, you shot from a better angle. I rolled my eyes so hard. Like, girl, it's not a competition. It's a competition, no. It's like, what is this? You're going around collecting photos of iconic places to visit, is it? I have have another story like that. I'm sorry to step (laughs) in, but I'm so so enraged by this. I'm very triggered by this. So I once went to Japan with a colleague, like, just on a holiday trip, right? And, 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 uh, we visited this temple of uh, Osaka or something mm. like that and uh, apparently like that day when we visited the sun wasn't in a good place or whatever or the lake wasn't clear so it couldn't be reflected in and I was just like okay here's the temple pretty okay bye yeah the next day he said he wanted to go back because he didn't get a good enough shot girl what and I just is this was uh, no you go yourself bye no okay it's a bit like you know that <laughs> there were these news reports of like China tourists like yeah going out on a limb to get the perfect shot 
at tourist spots and dying. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, like they go to like the cliffs of Dover or whatever, and then they try and get that shot, right? Okay. And then they fall off the cliff. That, that, <laughs> that, that actually makes me very sad. I, know, I should have no, laughed, but it's, that's really, awful. it's really gruesome. That's yeah. awful. Why are we talking about this? No, we're talking about this because, like, that is the idea that like it, the the way you cu- you curate your your life experiences yeah. right has become there's a kind of competitive uh yes, performative yes. edge to it and I think you know this gender reveal bullshit is part of that. This right? is how we get yeah. pyrotechnics in the picture lah. Yeah, it's like I need to like outdo the last bitch who review. You know what? Gender. You know what, sister? Yeah. Sh- you took down a fucking forest. You think you win lah? I mean, it's. I think there's just something so potently symbolic about that. <laughs> this idea that it's like, not only is it like, re- does it reveal the incredible toxic heart of our materialistic social media distorted, fucked up generation, right. but it's also like the incredible toxicity of white heteronormativity. Yeah. Because like, this sounds like the most white ass bullshit. No, right? it really yeah. is. It's, it's like, I don't know what insecurity these people have. Like, <laughs> they feel that they need to say, hey, Hey, look at me. My life is great. My life is great. Oh, Calm down, oh, bitch. I don't know. It's just like there's so much celebration you have to do before the baby even fucking comes out of your vagina. You yeah. know? It's like, girl, get a grip. It's, 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 and then, okay, on another level, as a queer person, this yeah. really disturbs me. I mean, the language is egregious, right? Just now, you know, we were stumbling over, oh, is it a sex reveal or a gender reveal? It's like, first of all, like, fuck off with the gender. It's not, right. you're not revealing a baby's gender. Absolutely right. Yeah, but it, it, it just gives you a sense of how encoded in people's minds the idea of gender is, right? It's like, you're not even giving your baby a chance to develop into the human being. Who they want who to they be. Who they want to be or who are going to be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and you're inflicting this kind of violence on them pre-conceptually almost exactly. right it's yeah. like so um, uh, there's this uh, French philosopher called Althusser right who wrote a very famous essay about mm-hmm. called the state ideological apparatus which is basically him analysing the way in which um, ideology uh, reproduces itself how does ideology disseminate itself through society and it's through this apparatus or apparatuses whatever that he calls state ideological apparatus um and he writes, there's this famous line in his, um, in, in that essay where he says that, you know, um, we are all called into ideology or he uses the term interpolated, right? We're interpolated into ideology even before we are born. Mm. It's like while you're in, in the womb already, right? Ideology has already started to form around you in terms of like your class, your, you know, and, and what your yep. parents think you're going to be. But then, so you're born into stuff gender la. as well, right? It's like these things just go to show that the, uh, the, you, before the baby even has a chance to become a human being, something is already yep. like uh, formed around the child, and 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 this idea that oh, you know, the gender so called of the of the child is so important suggests that like there is going to be a very rigid way of thinking about sex, sexuality, gender, which unfortunately you know, is how it plays out right now. Yeah. La. Yeah. And it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, actually, I have a lot of friends who are having kids now and I, I sometimes yeah. wonder, like, you know, as, as a queer person, I'm looking on going like, wow, what are the conversations people are having um, with their partners as, oh, yeah. they are, as they are raising kids, right, about gender, knowing what we know you know, as fairly educated progressive people about like the 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 the, the trappings of gender and how violent right. our 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 preconceptions about gender can be. Um, you know, how how what kinds of conversations are parent young parents having about gender? I think it's very fascinating. Yeah. I, yeah. I wanna segue a little bit to mm. what I wrote for my master's thesis, right. which was gender ideology and young boys' perception of science. Oh yeah. So what I researched on was how boys view different science subjects. And the reason I thought it was important was because a lot of the discussion was based on just how girls perceive science and how girls didn't like physics. Wait, so like the existing research yeah, was... Yeah, existing, was, was, existing research was all just that. Mm. And there was this void in how boys thought about sciences. Mm. You know, because I thought if if we are... if if the the stereotypical gendering of the science subjects is that physics is extremely masculine and uh, chemistry is somewhere in the middle and biology is extremely feminine. Mm. And if we are only talking about wanting to balance it out by pushing girls towards physics, then I think we're missing an opportunity because there might be boys who actually... Who, who might want to do biology but feel very scared mm. because of this feminization mm. of biology that's happening mm. wrongly so mm. no, no one should do that so when I talked to 
to when I interviewed uh, boys um, aged I think like 16 like that in schools they actually when I questioned them I said do you have a gendered perception I can't remember my question but do you have a gendered perception about sciences they looked at me extremely confused and they didn't quite understand why I would put those two things together mm. but they gave themselves away after they kept talking then they said then I told them uh, many of the boys said oh I want to do engineering mm. I want to do math and I go why they go, oh it just seems like the right thing to do for right. me uh, then I said, "Do you like bio? Uh, do you like biology?" Like, no, I don't really like biology. It feels like a girl science. Right. And I go like, "Wow, it's so." My conclusion was that it was so deeply entrenched in them mm. that they couldn't even see it, mm. even when I told it to them straight to their face. Right. Do you know? So yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, and like it's, it's it's this is just one example of the way in which you know we all know gender yeah. kind of really arbitrarily constructs our really world, dictates right? the way we move. And so like so to go back to my question, like I I mean I I don't know I haven't actually had serious conversations with my friends about how they think about gender when they're raising their kids, right? Yeah. Uh, like you know I think like minimally a lot of like the like the more with it people are going like okay I'm not gonna raise um. If 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 it's uh, if the child is assigned female at birth, I'm not gonna do the whole like pink ribbons thing, for example. Sure. I'm gonna let them just do, uh, you know, g- gravitate to what's whatever, whatever they want to. But then like you you start to wonder actually like that's not the only way in which sure, yeah. children are gendered and socialized into gender, right? But then it, it's like if you were a parent, like I don't know, I I don't even know how I would. But a lot it, of yeah. it is see, see, like 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 a lot of it is very beyond. Uh, their parents control sometimes yeah. you know like m- my sister has two boys mm. okay so um uh, i i don't think she 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 doesn't consciously gender them in their roles like mm. oh they must play these toys mm. they must play this. she makes them do whatever they want in fact my second nephew loves like coloring and like talking to himself and mm. dancing he literally will go around and, like do a performance mm. and my sister like encourages, encourages that, that yeah. which is great but what i what the point i'm trying to make is that outside of the house this becomes difficult to do mm. because everywhere else is so gendered. Mm. When you go to school, you don't know what's happening in mm. there because you don't know what that person's mm. view on gender is like and a stereotypical gender uh, you know, and, norms. And, and the fear is what are you setting your child up for yeah. if you, you know, yeah. Yes. It's, it's that thing where like a lot of queer, you know, like a lot of parents actually, they say when their kids come up to them, the, the f- fear that they feel is like, oh, you know, like, uh, I worry for you. Um, I'm upset wow. because I'm worried for you. Like what? What? How difficult your life is going to be? Oh sure, you I, know, can, like, I, I can. So see I can. That. I can see how, from a parental point of view, it's it's much more easy to socialize your child into orthodoxy, right? Into into normality. Yeah. Than than it is to just try and be a little edgy. Yeah, it comes from a yeah. place of just wanting to protect your children. Yeah, I get it. And then, like, also, like, the kinds of parents who raise their kids so-called without gender, right? They can come across in the same way (laughs) vegans can as being a bit, like, (laughs) a bit, like... uh, People who do yoga. Yeah. Well, (laughs) specifically, like, vegans, like Grimes and Elon Musk. (laughs) And their their child, whose name no one can pronounce. It's like a password, I don't know. Yeah, so that's the other extreme, these kind of, like, incredibly insufferable people. But then, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm so, like, the thing is, I'm seeing some of my friends. I've seen some people raise kids, right? In the most kind of, like girls in frou-frou frocks way imaginable so extremely girly yeah, I'm just going like oh that was a missed opportunity there <laughs> and also like mm, maybe I should keep my distance <laughs> hot takes hot takes hot takes hot takes hot takes hot takes with maple syrup and margarine mm, <laughs> why you put that in my head now I want I'm gonna uh, buy so it while, tomorrow so no, I'm gonna have mm. more white wine and go to sleep <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us on our 20th, 20th. expedition into the world <sighs> of Singapore politics, mm. gender reveal parties, and other egregious, like, Pranakans. 2020 <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, 20, I feel like this is, the is year. what Precious Stone uh, Is it Jade? 20? Mm, I don't know. Mm. Also, it's not, you realize that we've only done 20 episodes. It's not 20, <laughs> not 20 years. years. Can, you imagine, <laughs> can you imagine this? Us doing this part for twenty years. I cannot. Cannot lie. I, I think cannot, we would have killed each other. We would that. have. We would have. Yeah, killed it's each like other. We first of all, exhausted things to talk about. It, the episode would have ended in a suicide pact. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the suicide pact would have been made maybe like a year before, and then like it would be a year's worth of episodes leading up to the. That's horrible. Yeah, that's, that's horrible. Let's horrible. never do let's that. Never do that. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and on that lovely note, thank you very much for joining it's our us. Our 20th episode. Let's hope there's 20 more. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Kishan signing and this off. This has been Joe. Bye bye. Bye bye. See you next time. Yeah.